Good morning. We're going to be uh, looking at a new, another uh, couple of characters this morning, and uh, we're going to turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. The main subject uh, this morning has to do with a word um, that we don't often hear outside of Christian circles. The word is righteousness. Righteousness. And I was thinking uh, this morning that uh, it's, it's a word that it, I doubt is ever heard in a court. I was talking to Daryl this morning a little bit about, about uh, cr- crimes. And um, you can go into a court of law and you can admit your guilt. You can say guilty and pay the fine or the punishment for it. You can be acquitted of a crime, which doesn't mean that you didn't commit it. It just means that they don't have enough evidence to prove that you committed it. And uh, Daryl reminded me, of course, of the famous line, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. Okay. Now, I won't get into the debate over whether he was guilty or not, but um, the reality is that there wasn't enough evidence uh, that that uh, he had committed the crime to legally uh, punish him for it, acquit. But never in a court of law do you hear the words, I declare you righteous. The, the judge can't do that, but God can. God can declare us righteous. And that's amazing because he is the judge of all the earth. And he knows every sin we have ever committed. And yet, he can declare us righteous. And to be declared righteous, uh, there, there is no rap sheet. It's wiped away as if it never existed. He declares us righteous. He justifies us, declares us righteous, not in a court's eyes, but in his eyes, even better still. God can declare us righteous. And so we want to think about that this morning. And let me ask you a question about that. Can you honestly say this morning that you are righteous in the sight of a holy God? Be careful of your answer. Okay? If you can say, yes, I am righteous in the sight of a holy God, on what basis can you be declared righteous? That's what we want to look at this morning. Okay? So we ended chapter 3 of Genesis last week and the consequences of the sin of Adam and Eve. In chapter 4, we move into the family and um, see how sin affects a family and ultimately how sin affects the whole human race. Chapter 4 begins with the birth of the first two children that uh, were ever born on this earth. And so we have a new generation that has entered the human race. Cain is the firstborn. Abel is his brother, the second born, second child. The Bible tells us that Cain and Abel were not created as Adam and Eve were. Okay. As we are his creation, that's true. But they weren't created out of the dust of the earth like Adam was and out of the rib of Adam as Eve was. These were children who were born 
as, as a result of a union between Adam and Eve. As I said last week, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them fully functional, fully, fully mature, and able to reproduce after their own kind. And that's what we see here in chapter 4. So let's take a look at verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. So let's, just for those who weren't here last week, let's just reset the, the stage here. Adam and Eve had already sinned. They had already fallen. They had already experienced the fall uh, because of their sin. They had been expelled from the Garden of Eden at this point, and they now lived outside of the Garden and could not enter back into it. Eden was probably uh, near the Persian Gulf. We don't know the specific site of it, and people have searched for it for years, but you know the, the, uh, the earth has changed a lot since uh, in 6,000 years, and particularly after the flood. And so the source of rivers and the way the rivers flowed and all of this sort of thing has all changed since that time. However, I will say this, that unlike uh, certain current historians who are trying to assert that we all came from Africa, that is not true. Okay, uh, The Bible is very clear about where we came from, and it, it is that we came from the, the Garden of Eden, that area. The rivers that are described in Genesis are basically in Iraq, Iran, that area. Okay, So somewhere in that general region is where... Um, man came from originally the question would be this adam and eve sinned if they had children would the children that they produce also be sinners that was a question we don't know the answer to it until we see what takes place okay uh, they sinned would the children they produce be sinless or would they produce sinners like themselves you know many parents are greatly concerned about the influence that other children have upon their children, and rightly so. I mean, how many parents have experienced that? You know, I'm concerned about my child associating with this child or that child or this family or that family because of, and you fill in the blanks. We're concerned about the way our children uh, are being influenced. Adam and Eve didn't have those concerns. You ever think about that? There were no concerns like that. There were no external sources of evil that they had to worry about. There, was no, there were no TV programs to monitor or to avoid. There were no movies to avoid or to monitor. There were no children's books to scrutinize or to block out certain words or, or uh, sentences. Uh, there was no indoctrination of evolution um, in their education or humanism or any other kind of ism that is out there today. There were no other children from splintered families that they were to be concerned about. There were no teachers whose philosophy they had to be, had to be countered. They didn't have to worry about illegal drugs, uh, teenage drivers, alcohol, sexual immorality, or the way other families raised their kids. Not bad. A lot, of, a lot of problems that we face as parents today, they didn't experience. They didn't know. And so Adam and Eve, according to this passage here, had two sons at this time, Cain and Abel. 
And I think we can safely assume that they raised them exactly the same way. I would say that that's probably true. They had the same environment. There was only one family. They had the same set of guidelines. They had the same, they gave them the same form of teaching. And I think it's safe to, to take for granted that Cain and Abel had the same type of social, emotional, cognitive, and physical upbringing. Those are the four things that experts say today form a child. If it's true, I don't know. But the reality is they had the same whatever it was. They were raised the same way. And we generally assume that if children are given the same set of circumstances, the same guidelines, the same instruction, the same environment at home, and the same set of external influences, they will turn out the same. <laughs> I'm glad she sees the humor in it. <laughs> well, it, I mean, she's right, you know. We're not, we're not programming computers, and we all turn out differently. They were two completely different individuals. Don't be sorry. <laughs> Their life choices were diverse. They chose different careers. They were two separate, completely different individuals. It says in verse 2, Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So Abel was a shepherd, and Cain was a farmer. At this point in the record, it seems like the boys are doing fine. Everything seems to be just fine. And um, they're doing well. They're, they both seem to be living productive, fruitful lives. There doesn't seem to be anything amiss when you look at the external circumstances here. Now, I'm going to say something that isn't in the Scripture, and I, and I hope you uh, will agree with me that this is what happened. Okay. Adam and Eve taught their boys. And there's a reason I say this. They taught their boys about the way to approach a holy God. Okay? Now, the Bible doesn't say that in Genesis. But I believe that Adam and Eve taught their boys that they, Adam and Eve, had sinned against God. That God told them not to take of the fruit of uh, one of the trees of the garden, the, the fruit of the uh, uh, tree of the knowledge of uh, good and evil. That they took it, that they disobeyed God, and that they fled from God's presence, clothed themselves with fig leaves, and that God did not accept their fig leaves as a covering. And that God instead provided them with a covering from a slain animal. That God took the life, shed its blood, and covered them with a uh, covering that was acceptable to them. It was an innocent victim that made them acceptable to God. I believe that they heard that God was to be worshipped and that an offering of a slain lamb was the correct or suitable offering to bring to God. An innocent lamb had to be killed. The blood of that lamb had to be shed and it was offered with its fat to the Lord. And I believe Adam and Eve taught their sons this. The Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. This first sacrifice that took place in the garden was God's way of picturing or pointing forward to the time when Jesus Christ would die on the cross for our sins. An innocent victim as a substitute for us 
as sinners. It is through Jesus Christ and Him alone that we can be made acceptable to God. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So we'll go back to Cain and Abel for a minute. So we read in Genesis 4, 3 through 5, And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Who was the first one who came to worship the Lord? Cain. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, as I mentioned, it's not stated here in Genesis, but I believe that Adam and Eve taught their sons how to approach God. Why do I say this? In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, we read this. So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So in order for us to have faith, we must first hear and believe God's word. And so I believe that that's what happened here. When we turn over to Hebrews 11:4, it says this, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. So we have in Hebrews a very clear um, statement that Abel offered this sacrifice to God by faith. That means that he had to know already what God's word was, what God's command was, what God's... Uh, um, what was acceptable to God. And he had to have been taught that through his parents. So the Bible says Abel had faith. What is faith? Faith is believing God. Faith is believing God's word. If God has said something, I believe it. If God says that there is a way to be acceptable in his sight, I believe it. I accept it. I receive it. So Cain and Abel must have been told that sinful man can only draw near to God with an acceptable substitutionary blood sacrifice. And so Abel believed God. He said, okay. He didn't have to know all the reasons why. He didn't know about the coming Messiah. He didn't know about the coming Lord Jesus Christ, apart from what God had said to uh, Adam and Eve, that he was going to provide a deliverer. But he didn't know the details of Christ's suffering and death on the cross. He simply believed God. God says, this is the way, then I'm going to do it God's way. And he did. And it says in Hebrews 11 that uh, he obtained a witness that he was righteous, okay? Which means that who declared him righteous? It was God. God declared him righteous because he had faith in God and did things God's way. So he was declared righteous by God. So he brought, brought the firstborn of his sheep. I, you know, I like that. Cain didn't do that. He went out to his field and he says, oh, there's a nice piece of fruit. I'll take that, put it in my basket, and there's some good wheat. Take some of that and put it in my basket. It was probably good stuff. You know, I mean, I don't know how far uh, the fall had influenced the crops yet. I'm sure there, there was weeds growing and all the rest of it, but I'm sure that they were pretty good. And I'm sure he took real nice stuff from his field and from his trees. And he put them together and he brought it to the Lord. And he was first. And he brought it to the Lord. And he offered it to the Lord. 
and nothing happened. And Cain, I mean Abel, went to his flock. And when he went to his flock, he went and he got the firstborn sheep, the best, the first. And he took it and he, and he killed the sheep, shed its blood, and brought the animal with its fat and he presented it to the Lord. Again, it doesn't say this in the scripture, but if you take all of the scripture together, it's likely that what the Lord did is he consumed this with fire. If you look at all of the scripture and how he um, how offerings are given to him, it's likely that this was consumed by fire. That's probably how the boys knew the difference between what was accepted and not accepted. Again, it's speculation. The scripture doesn't say it here, but I'm reading into um, the way they understood this. In either case, it was accepted. God made it clear that he accepted Abel's sacrifice and he did not accept Cain's sacrifice. You say, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. They both worked hard. It just so happens that uh, Abel was a, was a shepherd. So he took from his stuff. And Cain was a farmer and he took from his stuff. It's just not fair. But it's the way God said he must be approached. And so Cain simply didn't, didn't believe God. He did not have faith in God and God's word. And he did it his way. And God did not accept the sacrifice. Hebrews 11.4 says, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice by faith. And so he believed what God said. He demonstrated faith by presenting the offering. And um, he, was, he was declared righteous. It says that he being dead yet speaks. What does that mean? Abel is dead. And yet his voice comes to us here in 2008 and he is, he is telling us something. If you remember as we, as we started looking at the characters from the Old Testament, we said that these things were written for our instruction. And so he being dead, Abel being dead, is speaking to us today. And what is he saying? There is a right way to approach the Lord. There is only one way to approach the Lord and it is the way that he has declared you must follow it if you're going to be declared righteous. There are some who believe that they are acceptable to God and that their sins are forgiven because of an experience they had or because they go to church. There are people who think that they're right with God because they give great sums of money or time to charitable causes. There are some people who spend their lives giving of themselves to other people and hope that God will somehow take out a great, a great scale and weigh out their good against their bad and their good will outweigh their bad. I'd say most people on earth believe that that's how God is going to judge them. But these things cannot and these things will not make a person acceptable to God. God isn't going to weigh out your good versus your bad. He requires a blood sacrifice. A lamb slain for you. If you've come any other way, then you're just like Cain and you will not be accepted. It's just that simple. I have no doubt, as I said, that Cain selected the very best of his fruit and vegetables. It cost Cain in his time and in his effort and uh, to cultivate and grow and, and um, harvest the crop. Cain wasn't an atheist. Cain wasn't an agnostic. He believed in God. He came to worship God. Cain believed in God because he came with an offering to him. 
But God was not pleased with his offering. Why? Because it was not an offering of blood. It was not a blood sacrifice. He was coming his own way, not God's way. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. I hope there are none here this morning who are like Cain, trying to get right with God, trying to be righteous with God your own way. It's impossible. You can't come that way to God. Are you hoping that your sacrifice of time, efforts, money, good works, or service will make you acceptable to God? I'll tell you this morning, they will not. There's a way that seems right to a man, but that way ends in death. When Cain saw that his sacrifice was not accepted, and Abel's was, he became angry, and his countenance fell. And so God says in verse 6, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Have you ever talked to somebody about their sins? I mean, really talk to them about their sins. And really gotten down to the meat. You know, here is the issue with you. You are a liar. You are a deceiver. You are immoral. You are a drunkard. Whatever the issues are in their life. Have you ever really sat down and really got through to them and said, look, this is it. This is what it is. This is your chief snake, your chief sin. How do people respond? They make excuses for it. You can face them. They can see themselves in the mirror, as it were, and they will make excuses for their sins. We all do it. What do we say? Well, the devil made me do it. That's not really me. That's the devil making me do it. Or we say, I just couldn't help myself. I I was just so weak. But listen to the Lord as he speaks to Cain. He holds Cain accountable for what he is about to do. He tells him that there is no room for anger. There's no room for pouting. He needs to do what is right. And what would that be? Bring the acceptable sacrifice. If you do what is right, you'll be accepted. All he had to do was go and get a sheep, a lamb, take its life and bring it as an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. That's it. How hard is that? How hard is that? Do it God's way, and you'll be acceptable. And he refused to do it. If he does what's right, all will be well. If he refuses to do what's right, he's going to open the door to sin in his life. And sin is described here as crouching, almost like a lion crouching at the door, ready to pounce on him. And God is saying, master it right now. And he won't do it. He won't do it. Cain would not listen to God. Let me ask you, will you listen to God this morning? There is one acceptable sacrifice. There is one way to God, and there is none other. Will you believe God and take him at his word? Cain became angry. In the New Testament, we read that he became envious of of Abel. And you can just see the working in his body and in his mind as, as his stomach juices turn to sulfuric acid as he's just getting more and more angry at his brother. And he's ready to blow. And so he begins to plot the murder of his brother. 
Clearly, it was premeditated. He had the motive, jealousy and anger. He had the means to kill him. Abel wasn't going to suspect a thing. And he made the opportunity. So he invites Cain, or he invites Abel out to the field one day. He says, Abel, come on, let's go out and talk. I've got something I want to show you. That's something I want to tell you. And he brings Abel out into his field that day with one intention, and that is to kill his brother. It says, Now Cain, verse 8, talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. He struck him with the intent to kill him, and he murdered his brother. George Williams, uh, a um, commentator, made this comment. He said, Cain's religion was too refined to slay a lamb, but not too cultured to murder his brother. In chapter 5, we have what is described for us as the tolling of the death bells. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. So it clearly shows us that all that Adam and Eve could produce were sinners just like themselves. And death uh, was to follow. The source of the stream was polluted. And everything that flowed from it was also polluted. And we all stand. We're all part of that family. We all came from Adam and Eve. And we all stand before God as guilty sinners. And the wages of sin is death. You know, it's interesting. If you're to take a look at um, Cain and Abel, uh, they really represent the two religions on earth. There, do you know that there are only two religions on earth? Okay. A lot of you think, oh, well, there's this and there's that and there's an ism and that ism and these guys and that those guys. There are two religions on earth. That's it. And they can be summed up very, very easily. <clears throat> there is the way of Cain and there is the way of Abel. The way of Abel is by faith in what God has said and what God has provided. The way of Cain is the way of, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to be righteous with, before God my own way. And uh, it doesn't work. There are only two religions. So we, we uh, talked about this in previous weeks, that as we go through the character studies, we want to also ask ourselves the question, is there anything that we can learn as the church? What, what can the church learn from Cain and Abel? these two characters. Well, let's take a look over at uh, 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. Begin reading at verse uh, 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Did Cain practice righteousness? No. Did Abel? Yes. So he was of God and Cain was not. Nor is he who does not love his brother. Ooh. Now the Lord is really striking home, isn't he? For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? 
because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. First John is very, very straightforward. It's one of the most straightforward books in the New Testament. It has many tests of life of whether or not you're truly a believer. One of the tests of life here is very simple. Do you love the brethren? And if you don't love the brethren, it's clear evidence that you're not a believer. It's clear evidence that you're of your father, the devil. It says here that the, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. They're made known by how, how, whether they love the brothers or not, whether they love the brethren or not. Do you know that hatred in your heart is the seed of murder? Jesus said that. You have heard that it was said of old, do not kill. But he went on to say, that's what the, that's what the law said. They said that even hatred in our heart is equivalent to murder. That's the seed of murder. That's exactly what happened in Cain's life here. In Jude 1.11, Cain's name comes up again. And if you remember, as we looked at Jude uh, several weeks ago, we were looking at false teachers and those who would come in and they would have one purpose in mind and that would be the destruction of the church. They were, they were really uh, wicked and evil. And he, and he relates to them or, or to us that they're like Cain. He says, Jude 1, verse 11, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the bearer of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. There is a, a warning against uh, people who come into the church who cause divisions. Then the Lord Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said of, to those of old, You shall not murder. Whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, empty-headed, numbskull, okay, that idea, um, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and come and offer your gift. God doesn't want your gift if you're at odds with your brother. He wants you to be reconciled to your brother first and then bring your offering. Okay? Verse 9 of chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? Do you think the Lord didn't know? No, the Lord knew. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. When God asked Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? Cain lied. He knew full well what had happened. And God did too. 
What does this teach us about God? That God sees everything. He sees everything that we do. In fact, it's clear from the previous verses that God knows everything that we think because he knew what was in uh, Cain's heart already. Now, there was no witness to this crime. There was no one who could say, yeah, he's the one. I saw him do it. Except there was God, and God saw. The Bible tells us this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. And again, he says, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. So God presents to Cain the evidence. He says, his blood is crying out to me from the ground, Cain. And so what do we see Cain do? Do we see him falling on his face and repenting before the Lord? No, we don't. There's no admission of guilt. There's no confession of his sin. There's no remorse. There's no repentance. And so God pronounced punishment upon Cain. The ground would no longer be productive for him, and Cain would be a fugitive and a wanderer. And so Cain whimpers. Um, and it show, his whimpering shows that he's more concerned about the consequences that he's going to face in life rather than the crime itself and the sin and the guilt of killing his brother. There's a very telling statement in verse 16. It says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Nod means wandering. There is no rest for the wicked. Cain rejected the only hope of righteousness that God offered him, which was the blood of an innocent victim. And he was sent out from the presence of the Lord. I think it's deeply significant that this is what happened to Cain. Today, God offers eternal life to all who will believe, to all who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the innocent victim who suffered and bled and died on the cross for our sins. The Bible says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Those who believe are like Abel, who, accept, who accepted God's only sacrifice. Those who refuse to believe are like Cain, who rejected the sacrifice. And God warns those who re- refuse to believe in him. He says, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Just like Cain was put out from the presence of the Lord and went out into a life of wandering. So too, those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are forever outside the presence of the Lord in darkness forever. It is clear from 1 John three twelve that Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother, and why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. There is no evidence in Scripture that Cain ever repented of his sins. No evidence that he ever turned to the Lord. Instead, the rest of chapter 4, all we read is about human interest things about his life. He went out. He had a wife. He had children. He lived in a city. He was a wanderer. That's it. That's all we know of him. What about your life? What is going to be said at the end of your life? You married. You had children. You lived in a house. 
you lived a life or you were righteous before God because you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to consider another aspect of this story that has to do with Abel. It's interesting that uh, Abel's name comes up twice in the Gospels, once in uh, Matthew and then once in Luke. Let me ask you a question. Who said these words? Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Jesus. Yeah, those aren't the words that we're accustomed to hearing from the Lord Jesus. Many people think of Jesus as being very soft-spoken, always speaking words of grace. But he spoke here, brood of vipers, serpents, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? And to what kind of sinners was he speaking? Drunkards? Immoral? Religious people. You're exactly right. He was talking to the religious leaders of his day. He condemned the religious rulers of his day because they were just like Cain who killed his brother Abel. Cain killed Abel because Abel was righteous and he was not. And there was one who stood in Jerusalem that day who was the most righteous of all. He was righteous in himself. He was Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. He was about to be handed over to the executioner because the religious rulers envied him. That's what the scripture says. Our Lord did not die a natural death, but he, he died at the hands, as Peter points out, but he was taken by lawless hands, crucified and put to death. It was his own brethren, according to the flesh, who crucified him. Jesus spoke to the, these words to those who were about to put him to death and was appealing to them just as God appealed to Cain. If you do well, will it not go well with you? And Jesus was standing in their midst and he was saying to them, look, you are going to be held accountable for the blood from Abel to Zechariah. And he was really appealing to them to stop what they were about to do. Now, Jesus knew he was going to go to the cross. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But they were guilty. They were accountable. And he was going to put the whole weight of accountability on that generation. Um, the, the martyr's cup was almost full. And it would spill overflowing when they crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. God had sent prophets to Israel. God had sent righteous men to Israel. And each time he sent them, they killed them. They beat them. They mocked them. And the stain of the blood was on their hands and on their conscience. And the greatest stain of all would be the blood that flowed from Calvary's tree at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. In refusing to accept God's sacrificial lamb, the Bible says they are ignorant of God's righteousness and are going about to establish their own righteousness. They were trying to be righteous before God by keeping the law and their, the law that they were adding to the law. But they could not establish their own righteousness. But, they did not, but God did not accept their works. The Jews no longer enjoyed the presence of God. They were cast out of the land and they became desolate. The land became desolate. And for centuries, the Jews wandered just like Cain did, like a vagabond on the earth. 
and they're troubled on every side and the threat of death upon them almost everywhere they go. We know that just like Cain received a mark upon him, so the Jews are marked out by God. And it shall be, the Bible says, in that day, that I will seek to destroy all the nations that came against Jerusalem. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me, whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. There is no suggestion in Genesis that Cain ever repented and turned to the Lord. But praise God for the prophecies concerning the Jews that they will one day look upon him whom they pierced and will weep for him. They will turn ultimately to Jesus Christ as their Messiah. You have the opportunity this morning to come like Abel and offer the only sacrifice. The sacrifice has already been offered for you. But to receive the only sacrifice that God will accept. And that is the sacrifice of His own Son on the cross for your salvation. Don't be like Cain, trying to get to God your own way. Don't be like Cain, bringing your own good works, your own this and your own that. But come to Him and receive Jesus Christ as your only acceptable sacrifice for sins. The Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What is your hope of heaven today? If you were to die today, as we've often asked, and stand before God and He were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? What would you say? If your answer has anything to do with something you have done, He won't let you in. He's not going to let you in. No matter how great the offering, no matter how great the cost to you, you cannot get into heaven that way. But Acts chapter 4 says this, Let it be known to you all that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Him you are saved. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I want to tell you this morning, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Who are you trusting in this morning? If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never placed your trust in Him, I want to urge you this morning to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Let's pray. And then we'll sing that song in our red hymn book. Let's pray. Father, as we look at the lives of Cain and Abel, Lord, we see clearly that we are sinners through and through as well. It wasn't that Abel had anything in himself that was righteous. But Lord, you declared him righteous because he had faith in you and, and faith in your provision for his salvation. And Lord, the only hope that we have of heaven, the only hope that we have of being declared righteous is based on faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. Lord, we thank you for 
your gift of salvation provided for through the death and the shedding of blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here this morning who still has not trusted him, that today would be the day of their salvation. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.